is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, January 6, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Working from the hangar in Nebraska is Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwink, the Reverend, is working from the pulpit back in Connecticut, and I'm Buster only in my Montana home base. You know, guys recovered from our trip overseas to Paris. You kept this one under your hat, Buster. You, you really played it low-key. You're like, oh, you know, going to Paris after Christmas. You know, I know you had the travel itch, um, and so I, I was delighted to hear that you went over there with the whole family, and uh, I think you're going to share a couple uh, couple highlights during the Bleacher Tweets. Yeah, exactly. Had a great trip there. The food was amazing. In fact, I don't even know if I can eat again after going to Paris. Like, you're just oh, like, yeah. everything is a step down. You know, after <laughs> after being there and, and all the taste there. But it was the first time that I've gone there. I've always wanted to go. And geez, it, it was absolutely great. What'd you guys do during your Christmas breaks? I mean, I just laid low in Nebraska, had some lovely runzas and just really lived it up here. I don't I, we can't talk about what I did. I didn't did nothing. I need your opinion on this, Buster. Sarah's caused some consternation on the College Game Day podcast. By, you know, sharing the Nebraska delicacy of chili and cinnamon rolls, which her family had for their Christmas dinner. And uh, as an East Coaster, a Northeaster, that is an interesting combination to me. I was wondering what your take is, Buster. See, that would be okay. In the last 10 years, I've definitely ventured away from the turkey standard on on Christmas Mm -hmm. Day. Of course. I think that's gone away and, you know, had some steak. Uh, I, I'm very open to sort of venturing out. So, Sarah, I fully back you. I don't know if that, you know, chili on Christmas Day would necessarily be my first choice. But you know what? Thanksgiving has become the turkey day, right? And I think in Christmas, anything goes. So I'm backing you up on that one, Sarah. Well, I think Thank you. And also, I would like to preface that the cinnamon rolls do not have frosting on them. Okay, they are the Miller and Payne cinnamon rolls that have no frosting. So basically, if you eat cornbread and chili and you're rolling your eyes at this, how dare you is how I'm (laughs) going to respectfully say that. Okay, I don't have a problem with anything you said right up into the moment where you said your cinnamon rolls don't have frosting on them. What's the (laughs) point of having cinnamon rolls if you don't Mm -hmm. have frosting on them? Okay, but the frosting and the chili like that's a little much, I will say. The cinnamon roll with frosting and chili, that's a bit far, but with no frosting, it's totally fine. It's its a classic. Taylor? This is problematic. I, 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 I'm having a hard time moving on. It's been a couple of weeks since Sarah revealed this to me, so uh, I guess we'll, we'll have to talk some baseball, try and wash my palate clean. Right, and we're going to be talking a lot of baseball today. We got Sarah Langs coming up. We got Paul Ambikides coming up. And Yankees general manager Brian Cashman to talk about the Aaron Judge negotiations and, and how they played out and what more the Yankees might do before we get to spring training, which, guys, is only about now, what, five, six weeks away. It's right around the corner. Some huge deals have happened in the interim since the last time we had a podcast. Rafael Devers and the Red Sox finalizing an 11-year, $331 million deal. The Red Sox totally waved the white flag they had to sign him. We'll talk about that on the pod coming up. Carlos Correa's deal is still unsigned. Um, there was a tweet out last night that, you know, he's been in contact with another team. I just don't think he's going to get the $300 million plus deal, given the, the concerns that have popped up in, in a couple of his physical examinations. The Red Sox signed Corey Kluber to a one-year deal. The Reds released Mike Moustakis, who he has another year left on his contract at $22 million in 2023. The Diamondbacks signed all-star third baseman Evan Longoria to a uh, one-year deal. Taylor, how about the Orioles making big moves? They <laughs> traded for Ryan O'Hearn, then they DFA'd him two days later. What are they doing? I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought it was funny that someone would pay money for Tyler Nevin, personally, because uh, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he is just a below-average baseball player. So... A lot of small deals that the Red Sox or the Orioles are making. I thought the word significant was going to be involved here, Taylor. I keep on waiting for significant because that's what we heard they were going to do during this season, this offseason, and they haven't been doing that at all. The Yankees named Omar Minaya, former Mets general manager, senior advisor in their baseball operations, to go along with Brian Sabian, who left the San Francisco Giants to join the Yankees front office reportedly, and we'll ask Brian about this, 
to uh, better balance the old school and the new school as they move forward. Wade Miley, veteran left-hander, agreed to a one-year deal with the Milwaukee Brewers, $4.5 million. Zach Davies went back to the Diamondbacks, one-year, $5 million. Eric Hosmer is signing with the Chicago Cubs for minimum wage, effectively, in, in baseball terms, because he has three years and $39 million left on the contract. He signed with the Padres back in 2018. Osmer is still a good defensive first baseman, as we talked about in the pod last time with David Ross for the Cubs. The uh, quickest path into relevance is through defense and pitching, and Hosmer will help out with that. The Brewers also acquired pitcher Bryce Wilson from the Pirates for cash. You mentioned that the uh, Tigers paid the Orioles for Tyler Nevin. It was an interesting story over the break that 10 Major League Baseball umpires are retiring the most since 1999. Among those, respected crew chiefs, Ted Barrett, Greg Gibson, Tom Hallion, Sam Holbrook, Jerry Meals, Jim Reynolds, Bill Welke. So a lot of umpire uh, faces will change for 2023. Nathan Avaldi agreed to a two-year deal with the Texas Rangers. They loaded up on their rotation this offseason, including the addition of Jacob deGrom. Rich Hill signed with the Pirates. Michael Conforto gets two years with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, and today, the Dodgers are expected to announce their decision about whether or not to retain Trevor Bauer, whose suspension has been truncated by an arbitrator's decision. I'm going to be talking about that with Paul Humbikides coming up. President of baseball operation for the Cubs was in a press conference with Dansby Swanson discussing Swanson's new seven-year deal with the Cubs. Give a listen. Everyone knows that Chicago Cubs fans are like the best fans in baseball. They support their team. They love their team. They show up each and every day, no matter where the city is. Um, so to be able to perform for a town like that is pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, I'm just I'm excited for for what's ahead. It's something that, um, you know, I walked down the field today and I just looked at my wife and said, like, this is where we're supposed to be. And just so excited for this unique journey ahead that this is home now. And the Yankees formally introduced Aaron Judge in the aftermath of that massive contract that he signed with them, nine years, $360 million. Here's some uh, clips from Aaron Judge in that press conference. It's such an honor. I'm you know, just really blessed to you know, be a part of this organization again for nine more years and finish my career here. You know, I think it was valuable to you know, see some other places and hear some opinions, but you know, once... That was all done. I got a chance to sit down with my wife and talk about a couple of things. You know, we both, you know, kind of came to the decision that was in our heart, which is, you know, we, we belong in New York. We belong in this city. And there's a lot of unfinished business here in New York. And, you know, I'm looking forward to finishing that business and, um, you know, trying to leave a legacy here for, you know, the next group of guys coming behind me. All right, Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I mentioned the College Game Day podcast earlier. We did two episodes this week. Uh, both were great. First one, we were hard at work on uh, New Year's Day, late into the evening, where they were talking about that TCU-Michigan game and then Georgia-Ohio State. And then on Wednesday, Pete Thamel and Reese Davis reconvened with David Pollock, who was excellent, talking about USC and then previewing the championship game. And then I encourage you all to subscribe to that show because Sarah and I will be working late on championship night and uh, recording a podcast right after the game. And that'll be up in the feed on Tuesday morning. So listen to that, the College Game Day podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
Brian Cashman is the general manager of the New York Yankees. And, and Brian, I, I, this offseason is unusual in the face of recent offseasons because of the rhythm of it. You know, for years and years and years, it felt like that most of the baseball work was done by the time we got to the first week of January. And then January was really slow, and it gave folks like yourself a chance to take a deep breath. Um, and then we had a few uh, off-seasons, which uh, Bryce Harper wasn't signed until we got into spring training, Manny Machado. Then we had COVID. <laughs> then we had the labor stuff last year. So what's it like for you to sort of return to that uh you know, that old rhythm of the offseason where it feels like you have a chance to collect, you know, catch your breath uh, before the start of spring training. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be honest. I don't necessarily feel that there's a breath catching point yet, or, you know, I don't know if that's the case. That, I don't think that's the case in the industry ever. It seems like, you know, I'm still in human resource mode now. You know, you saw we hired uh, some two new additional people. We're also working on retaining other people that contracts have expired and going through those negotiations still. And, um, doesn't seem to end. And then, and then, you know, uh, you were know, still interviewing coaches, uh, for the vacant position. Hensley Mullins left us, uh, to be the head coach of the hitting department in Colorado. So, you know, we're going through that interview process. We got another one today on that. And so, yeah, it just never stops. It's a, this industry, you know, the calendar really, uh, there doesn't seem to be any relief. They're just different pressure points, but, uh, but always something constant. What about your roster? Yeah, I mean, where do you feel like you are in terms of additions there? I like our roster, um, but it's never perfect. It's never, you know, uh, finished, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd say right now, you know, we're always open-minded to any area on the roster that could be improved. Uh, the obvious area right now or would be in question is do we have a legitimate player that can handle left field? Uh, we know Aaron Hicks is capable of that. You know, uh, I think he's better than what he – has uh, shown recently, and and my, I suspect you know obviously he'd be the odds-on favorite out there. And then you got the young buck in Orlando Cabrera, Oswaldo Cabrera, uh, pushing up. Uh, uh, he showed some really good things last year, and you know outfield wasn't necessarily his forte, but he 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 showed you know such toughness and awareness and uh, and the ability athletically to kind of do anything every, everywhere you put him. So, uh, you know, he'll take a shot at that. I'm sure. And then Florial, uh, uh, the young prospect that we have also, uh, is certainly going to uh, fight for some time out there. So as of right now, that's, that's the area that I think people are going to question the most. Do you have someone that you can count on versus giving the opportunity to let it emerge and play out as you continue to evaluate what's available over the course of time? I was going to ask if there are still you know, names on the free agent board uh, in the trade market that, uh, that you, you know, you are tracking at this point still. I mean, you, know, you always stay in touch with those markets. Um, you know, clearly the free agent market's been significantly depleted since, uh, since it started uh, as would be expected going into January. Um, the trade market, obviously uh, uh, there's always players available with other clubs that you, you would love to have access to, but you know, uh, trying to match up with them and find something comfortable that you and they would do is always the, is the difficult uh, part. So, you know, I'd say the closer we get to spring training, the more likelihood it is that we're going with what we have and, and, you know, but, but you stay engaged with the marketplaces regardless. At the end of the 2022 season into the postseason, you're you had so many guys in your bullpen were banged up and hurt. Uh, what kind of condition will that group be in? Do you feel like at the start of spring training? I think good. I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, Michael King might be a little bit of a late start, um, you know, uh, but past that, I think everybody else will be, you know, resolved and, um, you know, Clay Holmes and Marinaccio and all those guys be ready to fire on all cylinders. And uh, again, you know, we, I think we have a really good bullpen. The, the addition of Thomas Canely and his, you know, we were really liked him before. We hated to lose him, but he was going through Tommy John. Uh, so the Dodgers picked him up for the two-year process of recovery. And, um, and so we're fortunate to get him back. We know what he's capable of. And, you know, Lonnie Peralta. And, I mean, we just got a lot of good arms out there. And, and you know, Jonathan Luizaga. And so um, it was a strength last year before, obviously, the injuries hit. And, uh, so we'll see how it plays out as we move forward. But, uh, you know, uh, we do have a lot of people that we know, you know, uh, can rise to the occasion in big spots and have great stuff and, uh, and throw strikes. And, and, but we're in a tough division and a tough league. So 
you know, you know, we, we need our pitching to be, you know, all it's capable of being. And of course the big question coming into this off season was about Aaron judge. And, and now that, you know, he signed and he settled and he's getting ready it, it, presumably to finish his career with you guys. I'm curious when you look back on it, uh, as the off season began after uh, the playoffs ended for you guys, what was your feeling at that time about whether or not you'd be able to to, to land him? Were you quietly confident? Were you uh, feeling like, boy, I, I don't know? Or was it a completely open question for you as to whether or not he would return? I had no idea. I mean, if you ask, you know, you know, the travel party, you know, people that, you know, live in that clubhouse, you know, whether it's manager, coaches, support staff, you know, kind of pick their brains. What do you think? You know, is he leaving? Is he, does he want to stay? And you get different answers from different people. So it was really all over the map. Um, you know, got all I know is we were going to significantly improve our offer and uh, pursue them. And then, you know, the free agent market's always, you know, uh, difficult to navigate, you know, and there's a lot of competition. Um, especially in the end, it sounded like uh, by media reports, San Francisco, San Diego really were, was pushing in on it. And, um, but in the end, we got the, the player and we were able to retain the player. He's been a, a force for us since Damon Oppenheimer drafted him. And, uh, and so, yes, uh, we're excited that he's going to finish his career here. He's been our de facto captain the last two years and, and now giving him that title, uh, you know, which had nothing to do with negotiations. But after Hal got an agreement with him, you know, his intentions were to, to name him the captain. And, um and it played out great. Uh, but, you know, it certainly, uh, he put himself in a great position. It cost a lot more than certainly uh, our earlier offers uh, played out. So one of the, I feel like when you look back at those negotiations now, that one of the pivotal moments was when you encouraged Hal to get directly involved in negotiations. Uh, you know, at that time, what was your thought process? Uh, it was just an intuition, you know, uh, you know, Hal's involved with everything and he sanctions everything, but, but, um, you know, I remember George Steinbrenner, you know, had such an amazing uh, ability to connect, uh, you know, uh, with, you know, when he wanted something, he, he could turn that charm on and, you know, cause obviously in the end of the day, the money's going to be big regardless. Right. And uh, so, so what separates the, yourself from the money? And it's always, you're, you're always in a disadvantage when you're a, I think a team trying to retain a player as he's going through free agency. So, cause everybody else is, putting a best foot forward, uh, you know, their, their face of their franchise, you know, that, you know, I, it's gotta be very difficult to navigate. If you're a free agent, you parachute into various different cities that obviously have a lot to offer, but um, is it real? You know, the, the presentations and, and the people and the, and, you know, in some cases, yeah, I'm sure it is. In other cases, it's, you know, it's just eyewash. Uh, so when they're getting recruited, elsewhere, you know, I think it plays on their heartstrings. Like, wow, these people really want me. And it, which pushes the, uh, the opposing team. that's not doing recruiting. We're just making offers, you know, typically uh, makes them feel like we're not recruiting, even though, you know, we can just fall back on, you know, uh, uh, your history with the player. Yeah. Their life and experience here. I mean, I think we're second to none with how we treat our players and their family and how we travel and all the resources we put into it and the support with our coaches and et cetera. So, um, but again, uh, everything's so new. And so you worry about how that happens. And, uh, so I thought Hal would definitely have to play a pivotal role. Uh, and he, he connected really well with Aaron right from the start. Uh, day one was a call to Aaron, uh, season ended next day, next morning, Hal's in my office. I said, we should call Aaron judge. And, uh, and you know, I talked to Hal about you're going to have to heavily be involved in this, in my opinion. And, uh, not because we could not have navigated ourselves. I just thought it would be, listen, this is, this is a franchise player and, uh, you don't, you don't want to leave anything to chance or an allegation or an accusation of, well, I never even heard from the owner. And, you know, even though the offers were legit. And, uh, so, uh, I thought Hal did an amazing job of, you know, just being personable and, and reminding him of what it is to be a Yankee and, and how this place, what this place means and what he means to this place. And uh, clearly the offers from how in the end uh, were pivotal as well. Yeah. i I feel like when you look back at the, at how it all played out, Brian, that um, unless that relationship had been established, I think there's a chance he winds up going someplace else. Cause my sense is, I mean, in the end, the, the choice was between bigger money elsewhere. And I think San Diego, in the end, might have been the team that, uh, you know, put out the biggest number there if they had actually played that out. 
or coming back to the Yankees. I, I don't think that that maybe he doesn't come back if Hal doesn't get involved. What's your what do you yeah. think? I mean, they, they, you know, we had that, that conference call the, the day after the postseason ended for us. And then, um, uh, and then, you know, how scheduled a meeting with Aaron judge in Tampa, he may have had more than one, you know, I, I, it's now a little time dated. So it might've had two personal meetings and, you know, at house house at the very least it was one. Uh, and on top of that, you know, you know, I was left to, uh, negotiating with with uh, Paige Odal um, throughout the process. Uh, Aaron had his uh, All Rise Foundation dinner, which you know I, I attended and was able to spend some time with Aaron and, and Paige and his family. Um, you know his mom and dad as well, and and so we we stayed in touch. And but I think Hal was yeah, no doubt about it, the difference maker in that process. Regardless, not just money, but but. Uh, but again, making sure Aaron, you know, he combating the combating all the overtures, both financial and personal, elsewhere that you know he wanted to make sure he conveyed and was able to do so. How much he meant to the franchise, uh, both financially and personally, and, and, uh, and I think it, I'm assuming it really resonated with Aaron as well. So one of the people in your organization told me that after he had that John Heyman tweet, you know, the arson judge, uh, you know, seems to be getting moving closer to the Giants. Uh, a person told me he was in your organization. Look, having Brian there because he's been through so often that you didn't react that much to that because you know how you know, information flows in this industry. Uh, was there some level of anxiety internally uh, versus how you were comporting yourself uh, outwardly? Oh yeah, I think there's a lot of people that you know. Again, I think experience has you know uh, you know plays well for someone like me because I've been through a lot and experienced a lot, both good and bad. And, and so, yeah, there wasn't a reaction other than, all right, you know, what's the checklist of things next first. It was confirmed if it was accurate. Cause we've all seen on social media that, you know, somebody hacks an account or somebody actually, you know, poses as, as a writer and throws something out there and people then, you know, go with it and it's not accurate and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, is there a blue check next to the name? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, okay. And then I remember somebody in my war room, in the suite out in the winter meeting said, you need to call Hal. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to call Hal yet. I'm going to call the agent and, uh, and walk through it with him first. Cause I didn't, you know, Hal was in Italy at the time. And it's like, let me get as much information and close the gap as I can. And, and Paige Odell immediately uh, responded and said, it's BS and, and doesn't know where that came from. And, um, that was it. So, you know, all of a sudden you go from DEFCON, you know, one to, all right, go back to DEFCON five. I think that's the way it works where it's like all of a sudden you can take, right. take the pressure valve down and, and go back, uh, to we're still in the game and we're still, you know, on equal footing. Um, and, uh, we're, you know, you know, we'll still go through this process and, and whatever's going on, you know, you know, we'll, it'll play out one way or the other. And, and listen, at the end of the day, free agent creates free choice and you just, I thought they did an amazing job of, you know, you didn't, I didn't know what they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I know what they said publicly, but, but privately just did not, we didn't have a feel internally. You know, people thought he wanted to stay, but, but until, until he says yes, you just don't know. Yeah. I actually think that in this strange way, he created lever, leverage for himself because he's very earnest. He's a very earnest personality and he did an amazing job during the year of staying in the moment. Well, he's a very private person. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was strategic or it's just a manifestation of who he was or is and has been. And, but you know, it's hard to read the tea leaves at times. Um, and you just know that he's a hell of a baseball player, player, uh, you know, uh, uh, high end competitor, you know, and, uh, and then everything else he kind of tries to keep close to the vest the most as he possibly can. And, and, um, yeah, probably I'm sure it worked to his advantage a little bit because we're we're out there a little bit in the dark for a while uh, until we ultimately got a yes. All right, before you go, you guys had Brian Sabian, Omar Manaya, your front office. What was your thought process? I, you know, I've tried to get Omar over here on multiple occasions, um, and both you know he he's worked everywhere from teams to the Players Association to MLB, and uh, so you know uh, he's clearly a talented person. Uh, I already knew that. You know, we're really close. Um, 
so he was working for the union the one time he was working at MLB the other time he had commitments in play. So, you know, uh, so when he wasn't with a team, you know, he still honored his commitments to the people he made those commitments to. And so he was available this time around and, uh, and we were able to, you know, Hal Steimer has allowed, allowed me to green light it. And then in Saints case, you know, his contract expired apparently. And, um, and he reached out to me and him and I go way back. You know, I started as an intern in New York. He was our scouting director. And, uh, then, you know, George Steimer eventually moved all of our operations player development scouting to Tampa. And then eventually I moved with him and became a full-time employee. I was already full-time at that point and then moved down to Tampa and became the assistant farm director. Save was still a scouting director. So he was one of my early mentors. And I still remember to this day, you know, you know, saves took me to, a, you know, a bar post game, you know, post game, post, you know, work day uh, it's called the chatterbox you know at the university of tampa which you know uh, had a big football program back then lyle alzado i think played for those guys well before me but but we're at the chatterbox and saves is like you're going to be a yankee i was wrestling with whether i leave the yankees to pursue law school uh, or get a business degree a master's or something like that and, and i remember saves giving me a speech it's like you're not going anywhere you're a yankee you're always going to be a yankee and you see this stuff through and and yeah it's just he's He's an amazing scout, just like Omar is. Uh, you know, Saves went on to, to do amazing things uh, with the Giants, three World Series titles. But like, in terms of, you know, his work in the amateur world as a, as a college coach, then he becomes a pro scout, then he becomes a scouting director, then he becomes, you know, heavily involved with Bill Livesey at our player development and scouting. You know, Livesey was the figurehead and, and Saves worked under his umbrella. And then he goes on to the Giants and becomes a general manager, you know, world champion general manager three times over. Um, just an amazing career and had his, one of the early architects of our dynasty, you know, the, the Jeters, the Rivera's, the Posadas, the Bernie's, you know, the Pettits. Uh, and then so many bef- after that and before that, arguably the greatest uh, farm system ever assembled, in my opinion, or you could put that in that category, the top five in the history of the game um, was under his watch with, with Bill Livesey and others, uh, Mitch Lukovics and who's down in Tampa Bay. And, and we had an amazing uh, crew and, uh, I'll never forget that. And I know he's got a lot to offer uh, and mentor still and, and guide us. So I'm excited to have both of these individuals join our cabinet uh, as we continue to navigate this industry and, and pursue another championship for the, for our fan base. Yeah. I remember when I did a book uh, on your dynasty uh, talking to you after the, that book was published and, you know, cause you're always as a writer, you want to get as close to the truth as you possibly can. And after you know, having a conversation with you about Brian Sabine's role, I was like, boy, I, that was a miss for me in, in working on that book because you felt he was so important uh, to putting those teams together. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, like anything else, you know, the general managers are figureheads, um, but there's the army of people behind uh, that are working the, the entire country, of, you know, in the amateur domestic world as well as internationally. And then, and then you have a player development system and, and there's just an army of people behind us as general managers that, you know, unsung, unsung heroes. And, you know, I can, I think hopefully this continues to shine a light on such amazing work that was done uh, during that time frame that eventually led us to something that, you know, you never see really anymore, uh, which is not, you know, it's hard enough to win one world series, let alone have a team constantly going to the world series and winning uh, many of them. And, um, and the foundation of all that was laid, by the hands of a Bill Livesey, of a Brian Sabian, of a Kevin Alfred, who was the assistant scouting director, of a Mitch Lukovic, who was the farm director, and then the countless amazing scouts that they had that eventually Sage wound up with in San, San Francisco because, uh, you know, George Timer made some changes, unfortunately, at that time. And and uh, those guys weren't able to take that ride in the parade uh, that the rest of us that stayed were able to take. Um, but I've never forgotten that. All right, Brian, thanks for your time. Uh, and I will see you in Tampa next month. Outstanding. Take care. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package.
Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, is Paul Ambikidi. He's a researcher at ESPN. He's a honcho on the show, Get Up, uh, in 2023. Himbo, how you doing? Buster, I'm fantastic. It is nice to be talking baseball. Well, uh, we've been talking football, obviously, all week for you know good and bad reasons, and it's wonderful to know that Tamar Hamlin is doing better, and that's obviously been the biggest story in in the sports world this week, but baseball is always my favorite. And as we approach the NFL playoffs, any aversion that you can provide me to talk ball, I am always here for. And it's interesting because this off season has been more like this sort of off season that we were accustomed to up until like 2017, 18, right? Where, uh, you know, most of the big players would be, have their situations resolved by the first week of January. And then people in baseball literally got to use the last weeks of, of January, the first weeks of February to prepare for the season, maybe tinker around the edges on their roster. But then, you know, he had the year when Manny Machado and Bryce Harper were free agents and everything got backed up. And then we had COVID and then we had the labor situation last year. So that's what I'm hearing from people around baseball. They, they kind of enjoyed this typical off season uh, in that most of the big names have come off the board. Yeah, the aggression with which uh, GMs operated this offseason is a very encouraging uh, sign for the sport. You and I did pieces on this for the last five years. The last CBA really eroded um, payment, the way that free agency went, you know, ceased to become a destination. But as we sit here today, with a lot of the offseason still left, the number of good free agents are very few, and the number of big names are, have been off the board in many cases for weeks or even months. That's a really good thing. It's a lot more like what the NBA has done. It's a lot more like what the NFL has done and it demonstrates to me that the sport is in a much healthier place, at least economically than it has been in many years. That's obviously a really good thing for us. Yep. No doubt about it. Uh, I do want to hit on some of the big names that are going to be, have been in the news and are going to be in the news here. Let's start with Trevor Bauer. Today is the deadline. The Dodgers have to decide whether or not to uh, release him, whether or not to bring him back to the fold. Uh, now that an arbitrator has ruled that a suspension is coming to an end, what's your guess as to what's going to happen with him? Because I, I, I just, you know, I get the sense that so much in 2023, Hembo, compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is about branding. And I just think that teams are going to be very reluctant to bring him in, given they know that if they, uh, you know, sign Trevor Bauer, if the Dodgers release him, they know that the conversation every time uh, you know his name comes up is going to be about the fact that he served the longest suspension under baseball's domestic violence policy. And I think that a lot of teams now reflexively veer away from that. What do you think? I think you have that right. Um, but I would still say this. If I had to bet an amount of money that mattered to me, my guess, my best guess would be that Trevor Bauer pitches in the big leagues again. He's too young. He's too good, and while he's obviously been something of a flashpoint, and we know he's served the extremely lengthy suspension, my guess is that some team will still be willing to take a chance on him. Now, might the Dodgers bring him back? That would surprise me, because this is not a lifelong Dodger, a legacy Dodger. This is someone who may sign, and this happened very soon thereafter, as we now know. So that's obviously one of baseball's brands that dates to the you know late 1800s. Um, I would be surprised if he pitched for the Dodgers again. But Trevor Bauer is a really talented pitcher. Uh, Trevor Bauer, we know, is in excellent shape because he posts his workout every single day on YouTube. Has a big audience <laughs> there, too. Like That's his thing. Um, I'd be really surprised if Trevor Bauer's big league career was done, if merely because it's a zero-sum game, some team is going to be willing to take that risk and uh, lean into the talent. I'm not sure if it happens right away, 
but I think we'll see him on a big league mound again before it's all said and done. Yeah, and I am going to be curious about the initial decision from the Dodgers because if they were going to cut him and take a, you know, let's just, uh, you know, put this in air quotes, like a high moral stand on this issue, they could have theoretically released him immediately after the arbitrator's decision. And they've had months, you know, more than a year to think about that reaction from a pure numbers standpoint. If you're looking at it purely from production in dollars, uh, you know, cost, that sort of thing. Uh, from the Dodgers perspective, they've already got money sunk into Trevor Bauer, right? If they release him, they're going to have to pay for him anyway. And this is a year in which they're bringing their payroll down to reset under the luxury tax threshold. So you're essentially, if the Dodgers release him, again, this is a conversation about a pure numbers perspective and about baseball production. Um, you know, you got to believe within that organization, which is numbers uh, oriented, there is some conversation about boy, we have a player who's going to be productive for money that we've already spent. Does it make sense to keep him? Yes. The guarantee is $22.5 million from my understanding. And that's going to count against your luxury tax. Uh, You mentioned the Dodgers are doing the best they can to be under that number because uh, they might want to go ham next year in free agency for all we know. So from an economic standpoint, and I'd imagine one of the big reasons this lasted until today is because there's probably some internal strife within that organization with different factions as to what the right decision is. Because, you know, the baseball op people on one side, this is sort of where I, I, the area in which I live, they might say to themselves, we've paid for the player. He's going to have served the suspension. We're going to pay him $22.5 million this season. And we don't necessarily have the ability, because this might not be as good a roster as we've had, just to cut loose because we have this, you know, like you said, uh, said in air quotes, moral high ground. On the other side, you might have the brand ambassadors, if you will, that say, we don't want this guy wearing a Dodgers cap. So yeah. I would imagine that the conversation that you and I are having right now is being had up until the final moments by people within that organization. So you can make a credible argument on both sides of the equation. If I had to guess, like I said before, I don't think he's playing for the Dodgers again. But I think there is going to be really a spirited debate as to whether or not you can actually sink that $22.5 million cost, given the talent of Trevor Bauer. 20 years ago, there's no question that a team in the Dodgers position would have brought Bauer back. But I think there's been a lot more sensitivity to the branding, the brand impact of a a player uh, in this situation. Uh, And we've seen examples of players uh, who have not been brought brought back into Major League Baseball because of the concerns about the branding. All right, Rafael Devers gets 11 years, $331 million from the Red Sox. He had them in terms of leverage in this negotiation. So it doesn't surprise me that the numbers they wound up paying him, not only for, were for a lot more than what they offered Devers earlier negotiations, like twice as much money, but also Hembo, when you factor in deferred money, they actually are paying Devers more than what Mookie Betts is getting from the Los Angeles Dodgers, which tells you that, you know, the Red Sox made mistakes in the sequence of events. Yes. Uh, look no further than the contract that the Braves signed uh, Austin Riley to not long ago. Austin Riley and Rafael Devers, very comparable profiles. The Braves are going to pay him $100 million less over the life of his next contract. That demonstrates the difference in leverage for sure. But even so, I think most of us agree that Rafael Devers is a worthwhile investment for the uh, Boston yep. Red Sox long-term and it sends the loud and clear message to your team and your fan base that we value our own. And if you perform, we will pay you. All that being said, what I've done Buster today is put together three reasons why I think he's absolutely going to be worth that contract based upon his outstanding profile as a hitter. The first of which is he sprays that line to line as well as any hitter in the sport. Here's his uh, career batted ball distribution, Buster. It's 42% pull. It's 32% middle, middle and 26% oppo. I mean, his spray chart is, is a piece of art, and his willingness to let the ball travel is really what sets him apart for most of baseball's best hitters. Since the start of the 2019 season, he got 87 extra base hits to the opposite field. That's 16 more than any hitter in the sport. He is singularly great at that. Secondly, Buster, he generates power from all four quadrants of the zone. He's got 108 homers over that span since, again, the start of 2019. 108. 33 odd pitches down and in. 28 down and away, 25 up and away, and 22 up and in. That's remarkable distribution. He's not the typical lefty that sits, you know, that has to sort of cheat down and down in. He can hit the ball out from all four quadrants of the strike zone. And lastly, this is probably the biggest reason why you're willing to bring him back and give him that kind of money. It is elite, top of the food chain bat speed. That's evidenced by how he just pulverizes the baseball. Uh, his baseball savant page looks like a traffic uh, series of traffic lights. He's ranked in the 93rd percentile or better 
and exit velo in each of the last four seasons. And over that span, only Vlad Jr. has more batted balls of 100 miles per hour or harder. He destroys the baseball, and I think he's going to do so for a really long time wearing a Boston Red Sox uniform. The last major star continues to be in the news is Carlos Correa, whose agreement with the Mets has not been finalized. I've talked with enough sources around baseball who tell me they don't think the Mets are going to uh, be okay with giving him that huge $300 million plus deal in light of the medical information that they uncovered, that the Giants also uncovered in their negotiation. And at some point, you know, the question is going to be whether or not Scott Boris, who represents Correa, is going to try to find some uh, needle to thread in terms of language or protecting the Mets against a big long-term deal. I'm going to put you in the position of Steve Cohen, Billy Epler. Uh, If you had a major medical concern and and uncovered that, would you be willing to follow through with that, the huge $300 million plus deal? Of course not. Because even though Steve Cohen is operating in monopoly money and not real money, it's still too much money to invest in something for which your doctors say is not worth an investment. That's the point of the physical. The San Francisco Giants felt the same way as your doctors feel. It's not, it's not a difference of opinion here the way that we've seen before with you know, other organizations like the Orioles, for example. This is a legitimate problem. But I would pivot to what Boris and Correa's reaction might be. If I'm those two guys right now huddled in a room like we are, I'm not going to play the same game as the owners. And I'm going to pivot for my give me the largest guarantee I can find because that ain't what happened in here. And it doesn't seem that's obvious that any team is going to give me that kind of contract. So what am I going to do if I'm Carlos Correa? What if I'm going to do if I'm Scott Boris? I'm going to set a new precedent. I have the best shortstop in baseball. He's a free agent. What I want is to be the highest paid ba- uh, player in baseball every year. So right now that's Max Scherzer. Right now that's Justin Verlander, $43.3 million. Give my client $45 million a year over two or three years. Give him opt-outs after each season. And let's play that game. You're a Vikings fan. You saw Kirk Cousins do this with Washington. He became your quarterback. Since, since he began that process, he's been the highest paid player in the National Football League. There is no reason why Carlos Correa can't bet on himself bet on his talent, do it uh, singularly unique and differently, say, make me the highest paid player in the sport, upwards of $50 million per year. Let's go year to year. Let's do, you know, do things two to three years at a time. If you believe in your talent and you don't think any team's going to give you that massive contract, and that, that money adds up the exact same way, that would be my play. And it would sort of reset the way that people do this and think this way. I understand it's easy for me to say to pass up a lot of potential guaranteed money long-term, but in the short term, it is unquestionably the right decision for Carlos Correa. Quick hitters before we go. Best available free agents still on the board. I think there are three that really interest me. Jerickson Profar, uh, who's still 29 years old and can still uh, play left field at a high level, can fake it in the infield and gives you about a league average bat. I actually like the fit in Seattle if you ask me to pick a place. Brandon Belt, who uh, I have not read a thing about this offseason, in the 2020 and 2021 uh, seasons, <laughs> Juan Soto and Bryce Harper were the only hitter that had a better batting line than he did. But there's still like a legit uh, recent uh, profile as a really excellent hitter. And the last is Aroldis Chapman. I just saw the Phillies give Craig Kimbrell 10 million bucks. Aroldis Chapman has had one bad year. His fat ball still sat 98 last year. The, the, the hitters still chase that slider. I'm willing to take a flyer on a guy who has been great as recently as two years ago. The trade value of Brian Reynolds of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I've been working on uh, a little project for you. I have Brian Reynolds right now as the number five center fielder in all of baseball. The profile is really interesting, and the Pirates should not trade him for anything less than 150 cents on the dollar. He's going to play this year at 28. He's got three more years of club control. He doesn't play center field great. doesn't really run the bases great either. But it's a really nice hit tool that really carries him. Over the last two years, it's a 136 OPS plus. 136, okay? I want to contextualize that number um, for the audience because I just said all these amazing things about Rafael Devers, who just got $300 million. Over the last two seasons, his OPS plus is also 136. Over that same period of time, Carlos Correa's is 135. We just talked about him. Mookie Betts' is 133. That's the kind of hitter we're talking about here in Brian Reynolds. You're talking about three years of that at a premium position? I, I'm not trading Brian Reynolds right now if I'm Ben Sherrington unless I'm getting at least three of your top ten prospects. And oh, by the way, you know Brian Reynolds, if he were to go to another team in a better situation, you wonder – how much that'll energize him. Look, we, you know, we all would love to think that we all put out the same effort every single day under any circumstance. But I just think from a from perspective of a, a human being, a human perspective, uh, going to a place where the team is contending could only uh, make him better. Uh, and lastly, win projections in the National League East. So this is fascinating to me, and I think you'll find this even more so. The last year, it was the Mets at 101, the Braves at 101, and the Phillies at 87. I checked it with my friends over at Caesar Sportsbook, 
right now, the over-unders are as follows. All right, the Mets are at 96.5. That's pending. Carlos Correa, of course. The Braves at 94.5. And, and the Phillies at 88.5. Now, my initial reaction is probably the same that yours is. I would pound the over on all three. Is there any one of those three numbers that feels fishy to you, that feels like you would take the under right now? No, I definitely would not take the under. I'm not going to be as aggressive. I don't feel as aggressive as you. Like, I think those are all fair numbers. Hmm. Um, You know, I guess the one X factor that I haven't really deeply assessed yet is the impact of the balanced schedule. Like in the past, I would have said Phillies at 88 and a half in a division, which you have two teams that could win 100 games. Uh, You know, that, that would be a challenge. But with a more balanced schedule, I think it gives the Phillies a better chance. What about you? Yes, I, I do too. I, I wanted to seek some context on this because I think there's a real chance that if these, if the balance schedule does uh, benefit these teams uh, to that degree, like you just mentioned, that we might see these three teams combined for 300 wins. So I reached out to Elias. The, the largest figure that any three teams from one division have ever reached collectively is 298. In 2018, Tampa, the Yankees, and the Red Sox combined to win 298 games. That is wow. the highest such total. It would not stun me. It would not stun me if the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies combined to win 300 games this year. I think a lot would obviously have to go right. But on paper, they all look a little, if not a lot, better to me. So that might be pie in the sky. But I, my, my inclination right now is I'd pound the over on all three. And it wouldn't stun me if they broke that, uh, that division record of 298. All right. I'm not as high on the Phillies as you are. I can tell that. And we'll, we'll pick that up another day, Humbo. Thanks for doing this. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Happy New Year to you, Sarah. How you doing? Happy New Year, Buster. I'm doing great. Mandy Bell is running her half marathon tomorrow, Saturday, at Disney. So very excited to see how that goes. Yeah. So, and she's running that, uh, you know, to raise money in, in your name. And I'm curious because she said like she was not a runner, uh, you know, and then but you basically inspired her. So I'm, I'm assuming you're sort of acting as a coach to some degree. <laughs> I mean, I've certainly answered some questions and, you know, reminisced on a few things. But uh, again, I was blown away when she told me this plan, because as you said, not a runner, did not run in high school, never had really done this before. And I'm not sure if she'll be a runner afterward either, but doing this now <laughs> is amazing. So what makes you say that? <laughs> we were talking about it the other day. And I mean, you know, running is uh, definitely a love-hate kind of thing. And, you know, coming into it so quickly, I'm not sure that's the way to endear running to yourself. No, I'm guessing what you what you're basically telling me is that you've not heard the phrase runner runners high from her. You know, you you no. you know, you ran a ton. I've run a ton uh, in the past, ran cross country, uh, and I always felt that running, but I my sense is from when she said that I'm like, no, Mandy's like, you know what, when I'm done these 13 miles, that might be a, a while before I run again. I think it might be, but regardless, it is incredible. Again, this is someone who had never been a runner and came up with this idea. Just truly amazing. Okay. What was your reaction when you heard about the Raphael Devers deal? Because I, um, you know, I I thought this was a case where the team was really backed into a corner and they needed to do what they needed to, to get this done, whatever that number was. A hundred percent. I mean, we had seen with Xander Bogarts leaving and even going back to Mookie Beth being traded and just this history lately of younger players who really came into their own with the Red Sox not being able to stay there. And this is a team that had not done a whole lot in free agency so far. And it really felt like as the dominoes fell, they were going to have to do this. I mean, my first thought was, 
thrill for the player, I think, having that kind of security, not just with the money and the number, but with the years to be that age, 26 years old, and know where you're going to be for more than the next 10 years. I think that's really good. And it's a testament to a really good player who I do think has managed to become a little underrated. So I think it was a good opportunity for people to go to his page, realize just how much he's done before turning 26. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 139. So speaking of Devers, those 139 home runs are the second most in Red Sox history before turning 26 behind only Tony Canigliaro, who had 160. Now Devers also played 689 games before turning 26, which is sixth most by any Red Sox. So obviously part of this is volume, but I think that's the point because he has the highest slugging percentage at 512 of anyone ahead of him on that list. Bobby Durr, uh, Conigliero, Xander Bogarts, Tris Speaker, and Carly Stramsky. So my point here is that they have had other young players, but perhaps none this productive this early, other than Conigliero, whose career, of course, took an unfortunate turn. So I think it was really important for them to lock him up and ensure he'll be there for a long time. Number two. Number two is 12. So, you know, a little less uh, maybe important in the scheme of how the 2023 season will play out. But when Rich Hill signed with the Pirates, which I believe went official yesterday, they will be the 12th team that he plays for at the MLB level, which will tie Ron Ballone, Mike Morgan, and Matt Stairs for the third most franchises played for in MLB history behind only, of course, Edwin Jackson at 14 and Octavio Dotel at 13. It's just really fun to see how long this career has gone. And I love going to the baseball reference page. It has a little image for each uniform number and they're color-coded by the different teams. So you go to it, and there's so, so many there. I just think that's really fun. Number one. Number one is two. So for the twins, Tyler and Taylor Rogers, we're now together on the San Francisco Giants. My mom was very excited about this, saying, oh, they can play uh, pranks on their teammates and do all sorts of stuff like that but they're going to be the fourth set of twin brothers to be teammates joining the Consecos, Jose and Ozzy on the 1990s. And then the O'Briens, Eddie and Johnny in the uh, 1950s on the pirates. And then Joe and Red Shannon in 1915 on the Boston Braves. And the fun thing about Joe and Red Shannon is that they were actually only teammates for one game. It was one of their first career games, MLB debut, and the other it was his final career game. So this is really the first time that we'll see two guys who are pitchers, by the way, be concurrent teammates and, you know, potentially pitch in back-to-back innings or even the same inning, which is really fun. Yeah, I think, having known you for a, a long time, that if we were to rank, uh, and, you know, we love rankings, uh, if you were to rank your favorite things, birthdays would be one and siblings might be two, you know, some sort of sibling notes. You love sibling notes. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, again, birthdays, number one by far, but siblings is so cool. And I just think even from a non-statistical standpoint, to be those parents and to be in that family, the idea that, you know, they grew up playing together in the backyard, everything. And now they're going to be on the same team getting paid as major leaguers. I mean, that is the baseball dream. So it's amazing. All right, Sarah. Good to talk with you. Uh, and we'll speak to you next week. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a lovely Friday. And I want to get some of your highlights from your Paris trip. International traveler, have you been there before? 
um, you know, best meal, coolest thing you saw, you know, overall highlight, maybe a low light because, you know, that humanizes you, Buster. So we should get that too. Oh boy. Okay. The highlight without a doubt was the meal that we had on the second level at the Eiffel Tower at mm. the Jules Byrne restaurant. I, I, you know, uh, I came out of that thinking, you know what? I mean, you have a meal like that. We were so tasty, seven courses, uh, you know, a bottle of champagne to start, a bottle of wine as it's going along. It, it was absolutely amazing. And I took a cooking class. I was a total disaster as a student in that, which was a lot of fun. But actually, later today, we're going to cook one of the meals that we learned how to do in that. So those, those were amazing. The low light, and I wouldn't even call it low light because I enjoyed the history, but it felt a little creepy as I went through the catacombs. Have you guys read about that? Yes. Very oh, cool. Yeah. All the skulls and the, you know, skulls and femurs stacked up from, <laughs> and I'm like, Boy, it just it just felt a little weird, a little claustrophobic. And I had that audio, uh, you know, uh -huh. history that I was listening to as I went through it. But I zipped through that. I must say I wasn't lingering in there longer than I needed to. Yeah, probably, they probably had the spooky music and you don't want to you don't want to bring anything home with you from the catacombs. You know, you don't <laughs> want anything sticking around. Uh, I actually did bring home something from the catacombs, and that was a little can of mints. And all the mints are shaped like uh, like fibulas. <laughs> How cute. How cute. Well, I'm glad you had a great time, Buster. That's had a awesome great time. It was amazing. I, I mean, it can the, the trip overall from beginning to end was everything that I hoped it would be. Awesome. Where, where are you going next? Where's the next uh, international trip? I think next Christmas, uh, we're talking about going and visiting my daughter if she winds up being in Yokohama. Uh, she's uh, taken in, uh, Japanese for the last eight years. She's fluent. I would need someone. Uh, I've gone to J Japan uh, with my daughter before, but she's better with the language now than she was then. And, and it would be so much fun to, to uh, see a lot of sites with her. Got to take advantage of that. Well, all right. Yep. Glad you had an awesome time. Oh, uh, it was amazing. Let's get to some tweets here. DGB writes in, are you surprised about the Devers deal, Buster? I am and I'm not. Uh, I am because clearly that was not the trajectory we've seen with the Red Sox, you know, signing a player to that sort of uh, deal. But I also felt like they had no choice, right? They had to demonstrate to their fan base that, look, they're willing to pay somebody because they weren't mm -hmm. willing to pay Mookie Betts. They weren't willing to pay Xander Bogarts. And they wanted to pay Rafael Devers, I'm sure, a lot more than what they ever imagined, which is why, you know, a month ago, six weeks ago, we were talking about the Mookie Betts tax and the Xander Bogarts tax. That's what the Red Sox paid to re-sign Rafael Devers. Oof. Hope you're happy, Red Sox fans. Uh, our pal Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather writes, and Buster, what lessons might Major League Baseball need to be taking away from what happened to DeMar Hamlin? Baseball seems reactive rather than proactive about the not if, but when type of situations, I think in particular of injured pitchers from broken bats and hit balls. I think, um, and you're right, baseball historically has been reactive rather than proactive, but I would give them credit uh, for this. They put up netting around ballparks. I remember when that first happened, there was some thought that, oh boy, that's going to diminish the fan experience. It hasn't at all. It hasn't at all, and it's kept fa uh, fans healthy. They put nets up in front of the dugouts. I think that's been phenomenal, uh, and they've raise the standards on bats, which is why we've seen fewer instances of those tumbling, you know, broken maple bats going out to pitchers. Um, and the, specifically about the Hamlin injury, I must say, based on my experience of, of baseball and covering baseball, as soon as the play happened, I just immediately thought back to the examples that I've read about, not in majorly in the major leagues, but in amateur baseball, where you, you would read, you know, once every couple of years, a little leaguer, uh, you know, Babe Ruth player, a high school player who was killed by a line drive going back through the middle and hitting in the breastplate right at the worst time. Um, and and that was my immediate concern. And I think, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, that was the concern. I don't, I don't know if there's anything baseball can really do about that. I think it's a, just a terrible uh, tragedy when it happens that I don't know can be avoided. All right. One last tweet for today, and uh, we're going to make the awkward tra transition here. Speaking of international travel, um, Boss 
Vanderham at Boss VD Ham. This is important. Uh, Boss writes in, Hey, Buster and Taylor, this summer we finally get the chance to travel to the East Coast and see some live games. What would you say would be the ultimate baseball day in both New York and Boston for our teenagers? Where should they go pregame? What do they need to eat and see and do in these cities? They're just looking for suggestions. I think Boss is from Holland, looking at his profile here. Um, and I included his handle here, and maybe we can elevate it a little bit so listeners can can help Boss out. But does anything come to mind? I think they're going to go see a Mets game and a Red Sox game. Yeah, so I, you know, because usually my trajectory when and my what I do on days when I cover games, I go right to the ballpark and I work within the ballpark. So I can't speak as much. Mm-hmm. to what you can do outside of the ballparks in New York. I would say this. I do think that the ultimate baseball ex- experience in Boston is to go early and go on one of those tours of Fenway Park because there's so much history there. There's all kinds of restaurants around Fenway Park that uh, you know I've eaten in. There's a wide range of choice. That's super fun. And the ballpark itself, I, I, if I were to rank must-see ballparks in Major League Baseball, Fenway would be number one because the history. I love the ballpark in San Francisco. Uh, Wrigley Field is obviously amazing. But in terms of a family experience, going to a place and enjoying a ballpark, enjoying the game, I think Fenway Park is number one. Awesome. That's Boss, B-A-S-V-D-H-A-M on Twitter. Help our guy out what he should do in yeah. Boston, New York, for sure. That'll be a lot of fun. Can't wait to hear about it from Boss when he comes back. Uh, and that's it for Bleacher Tweets for today. We're going to be back next week, and we're going to do this thing weekly until uh, Pitchers and Catchers Report. I think we're going to talk a little more about scheduling next week, um, You know specifics, but that seems to be the general plan. Yeah, scheduling coming up. There's a Hall of Fame conversation coming up, and at some point... We're going to get resolution of Carlos Correa's future uh, in the big leagues in 2023. That's it for today. My thanks to Brian Cashman, to Sarah, to Hembo, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Requires Gemini device and additional paid subscriptions to watch Netflix and other third-party apps. Terms and restrictions apply.